0: Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David
1: DeRose. Today, we've got a great show lined up for you. It's going to be looking at some topics that are especially of relevance to indigenous peoples, but they're fascinating to people across the demographic spectrum. We're talking about a subject that has to do with, well, the influence of European contact and First Nation peoples and how it impacts things like infectious diseases. Dr. Eddie Ramirez is my guest. Eddie, it is great to have you with us today.
2: Thank you so much. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. And, uh, yeah, I think it's the third or fourth time that I've been able to speak to your audience.
1: It's wonderful to have you on the show, Eddie. And I know for folks who've listened to the program before, they realize that you have deep roots in America. You have Native American roots, not in the North American continent, but more in Central America. Tell us a little bit about your background.
2: Yeah, so... um, I like to do a lot of uh, genealogy and so forth, one of my hobbies, and uh, done the, the common DNA test and, and so forth. And I actually did a very specific DNA test. Uh, it's called the Big, Big Y, and it takes your father's uh, DNA and it really gives a lot of resolution exactly which subtype you have. And uh, I come up with, uh, I have uh, something that's called the Q. BY110062. There's a very specific family of Native Americans. And uh, this is uh, from northern Mexico. And also, uh, they found some bones uh, off the coast of Los Angeles. There's some islands there and some caves. And uh, there were some native people there and actually matched with these people. I'm also relatives with them. And also somebody up in Canada, uh, there was this uh, person that they found uh, buried uh, close to a river there. And I matched with him. You know, he's also came from the same branch uh, of that particular native population. So, yeah, it's just something fascinating and very, very interesting to me.
1: So you have this indigenous background, deep indigenous roots. You're a physician, an MD, and you're also a researcher, a writer. You're quite a popular guest. I know I tried to track you down for this radio show, and you were somewhere like out in the Caribbean doing a whole series of meetings. It doesn't sound like you stay in any one place too long.
2: Yeah, well, so far, 2024, I've already been to what? To five countries, (laughs) and we just finished January. (laughs)
1: Yeah, so I know you keep a real busy schedule. We're really glad that you carved time out to join us. You have quite a, a YouTube following. I think last I heard, somewhere around sixty thousand followers. Is that right?
2: Yeah, that's correct. There's even a video there that is viral, has two point eight million views uh, about uh, melatonin and sleep. Uh, that's the good news. The bad news is that it's in Spanish, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you can put the subtitles and you can actually understand. What is has been thought about it in that video.
1: Well, we're glad that you're uh, speaking in English with us. We realize that you're bilingual, those of us that know you. So thank you for sharing in your second tongue in English. So, Eddie, one of the topics that you and I had spoken about in preparing for this show is one that indigenous peoples in North America, Central America, South America, it's of great interest because... Whether we talk about European contact or European conquest or whatever terminology you want to use, there were infectious diseases that were essentially unknown in these continents, the so-called New World, and things changed dramatically once Europeans set foot on this soil. You've been doing research on this. You've been looking into it. I know it's of personal interest to you, but I know it's of great interest to not just Indigenous peoples, but people across the spectrum. Tell us a little bit about what you've been learning.
2: Yeah, so basically, uh, there's something called the emerging infectious diseases, and we can group these emerging infectious diseases in two big groups. Number one are diseases that are uh, known for a long time, but uh, by some various factors, there's sort a of resurgence. They're coming back again. These diseases. An example of this would be tuberculosis. We know that even the pharaohs up in Egypt, some of them had some tuberculosis uh, evidence there. And uh, we have medication today to treat tuberculosis. But tuberculosis is making a, a resurgence. It's coming back again, becoming sometimes uh, you know, not able to be treated with the usual antibiotics and so forth. So that's one group of diseases of emerging infectious diseases, diseases that are known and are coming back. Second group is uh, diseases that are completely new. These uh, diseases, we uh, didn't know about them and then suddenly, boom, they appear. One example of that would be uh, COVID-19. The reason why it has a 19 there is because it was documented for the first time in 2019 so um, that's the famous one that pretty much everybody knows but the reality is that there's a lot of new emerging infectious diseases uh, another example um, 1981 if you want to put in your head when 1981 was uh, we had Ronald Reagan in the White House. That, that should give you a little indication where, where we're talking about. 1981, there's this communique that has come out of the CDC, the Public Health Here for America, that you can actually subscribe to it. It's called the MMWR. And it tells you about the common issues of health that uh, not only America, but the world is coming up and so forth. So in June 5th, 1981, Uh, They gave a very interesting report that there was a a very strange type of pneumonia. We call it a typical pneumonia. It's not your typical pneumonia that you see uh, usually in in communities. And uh, it was being presented on a small group of homosexual males, uh, this this pneumonia. And um, later on, we found out this was the very first time that, in an... Document that is of scientific value. Uh, it was described what later on became known as the AIDS epidemic. So uh, before nineteen eighty one, we didn't know about AIDS. It was non-existent. It was not in the in the map. Mm-hmm. A little bit later, we'll talk a little bit where uh, this actually came from. But the point is that today. 36 million people have died as a result of AIDS. Yet, before 1981, it was just a handful of people. These are these infectious, uh, emerging infectious uh, diseases.
1: Wow. This is really sobering as we step back and kind of remind ourselves about some of this. Where do we put diseases that are imported Let's say Ebola or something, we think it's confined more to Africa. If someone brought it over, say, to the United States, would that be considered an emerging infectious disease or not?
2: It was an emerging infectious disease when it appeared for the first time, and also when the disease starts to spread all over the place, that also can be called an emerging infectious disease. You know, one of the tools that we can use to pinpoint the origin of many of these diseases, because I know there's a lot of conspiracies and this other thing. gonna talk about those things. I'm not into that. But one of the tools that we can use is something by the name of medical anthropology. Medical anthropology tries to uh, go back through evidence in genetics, and different uh, available Uh, evidence-based things, to try to pinpoint origin of diseases. Uh, For example, we know that uh, smallpox came from camels. Uh, Before it was Mm. smallpox, it was camelpox. So this disease, medical anthropology, pinpoints it to the fact that close contact of humans and camels caused this disease to jump into the humans. So that camelpox um, was mutated, then became smallpox, and then started infecting humans. And humans, we don't hear very much today about uh, smallpox due to the fact that uh, public health interventions uh, such as uh, vaccination has done a good job at, you know, uh, making this uh, disease uh, something of the past. Another example of this uh, would be whooping cough whooping cough or pertussis. You don't hear very much about this problem here in America once in a while. There's a few cases, but uh, sadly outside of America, they still are facing uh, this disease. It is a cough uh, that people get these fits of cough that you cannot even breathe and you even get purple from so much coughing. Mm. Uh, We know that this disease came from pigs. That's where whooping cough uh, origin comes from. Now, Uh, It's interesting, if we read a little bit of history, many of the animals that are today in the American continent, they were not present here many years ago. They were brought by the Europeans uh, here to this continent. So, for example, uh, pigs came from, uh, from, 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 from Europe, cows came from Europe, horses, lambs. And, uh, and, and so forth. So before, there was no pigs here in the American continent. There was not such thing as whooping cough. There was not such thing hmm. as smallpox because there was no camels here in the American continent for many, many years. There was some camel-looking thing in the time of the glaciers and so forth then died. And then many years later, no more uh, camels as the camels that we see today in, in the Middle East. But it's interesting, the very first times that pigs were introduced to the American continent was via Christopher Columbus. Wow. In his second trip, Christopher Columbus brought for the very first time a small group of pigs. And it actually caused a swine flu epidemic. And it killed countless of Native Americans the fact that they brought those animals to the American continent. <laughs> it was an animal that was not living here. And to me, it's interesting that many cultures, you know, um, don't look pig with uh, good eyes, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. such as uh, Muslims and uh, some subgroups of uh, Christians and uh, Jewish people and, uh, and so forth. In fact, it's very interesting when the... That animal was brought here to the America, per se, by some of the pilgrims. Actually, uh, Native Americans didn't used to eat it oh. because oh. they thought it was it looked too much like human flesh, so they would avoid that at the earliest stages.
1: Interesting, very interesting. Well, we're running out of time in this segment, uh, Dr. Ramirez, but before we get too far along in the dialogue, I know you and your team there. You're the, the director of HealthWise Lifestyle Medicine. You're putting out a lot of great resources. We've mentioned some of the online resources. If someone wants to connect with you or your team, how do they do that?
2: Yeah. So, um, this way to get a hold of me, send me an email. So, my email is E Ramirez, R A M I R E Z. And, um, let me use my, my email that I use for a lot of my research. This is at wimar.edu. Wimar, W E I M A And also, if you want to follow me on some of my social um, media, I have a very active Twitter account, Eddie R D M D. And uh, also, there's a YouTube page there, D R E D, Eddie as an E D D I E ediramirez.com And finally, my Instagram, uh, if you want to come and travel with me around the world, that one is Dr. Eddie Ramirez. That's the best way of getting a hold of me. And uh, you can follow there uh, some of the things that we are doing.
1: Well, we will probably give out some of those uh, forms of contact uh, again in the show. But one, to keep it simple, email E Ramirez, R A M I R E Z at Weimar, weimar.edu Dr. Ramirez is staying by. You do too because we've got a lot more great information coming up. Things that will make a difference for you, for your family, for those that you're concerned about. I'm Dr. DeRose. Stay tuned.
0: Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at AIANl.org That stands for American Indian, Alaska Native Living. Again, AIANl.org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. When Jim died, I wondered if I would be able to keep the farm. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian and Alaska Native
1: Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. My guest today, Dr. Eddie Ramirez. Dr. Ramirez is the director of health-wise lifestyle medicine. He's actually making a difference throughout the world. If you've joined us uh, from the beginning of the hour, you realize that he's uh, traveling throughout the world, putting out content in multiple languages, especially English and Spanish. He has Native American roots from Central America, having been born in Mexico. And Dr. Ramirez, you've been helping us understand a little bit better, emerging infectious illnesses, especially how they relate to history here in North America and Central America. And I found it fascinating what you were sharing about uh, Columbus bringing pigs to the Americas. Um, My understanding is he wasn't doing that maliciously, right?
2: That's correct. Yeah, yeah. It was not his intention at all. He didn't understand, you know, back then, we're talking about the Middle Ages, the implications of infectious and quarantines and all these things that uh, now they are applied, you know, and they did not have, you know, that knowledge, no question about it. In talking about uh, coming up with the same line of thought, uh, so we can see that uh, some of the animals that they brought actually brought disease, but the main source of disease that came to the native populations of the American continent was actually the Europeans per se. Hmm. The Europeans started bringing a tremendous amount of infectious diseases to this continent. And again, it was not in a malicious way, but they happened to carry many diseases that the natives didn't have. It was also very interesting that here in the American continent, there was no plagues in the past, and uh, uh, let me just give you some statistics. This is uh, Jared Diamond. Jared Diamond has uh, quite a bit of uh, research on, uh, on that subject, of that interchange of the Europeans and coming here and so forth. And uh, Jared Diamond puts the numbers that if we remember the first time that the uh, Europeans came here, the official uh, uh, story, because some say it was the uh, people from Iceland and so forth, but the official story with Christopher Columbus, It was October 12, 1492. That was the first time there was contact. And if you remember 1492, by the year 1519, which was when uh, Hernán Cortés came to attack the uh, Tenochtitlan, which was the main city of uh, the Aztecs, uh, the, the... the natives that uh, used to inhabit uh, Mexico back then, Uh, by the time, by 1519, half of the population of Mexico had died as a result of those infectious diseases that the Europeans brought. In fact, that's the reason why, if you read uh, a little bit more, you will see that it was small armies that were able to take tremendous powerful empires, and the reason being is that many of those soldiers were uh, sick, they were not there, and that's why the easiness. of course, they had better technology and so forth, the Europeans, but but it was uh, made things uh, much easier for them to do what they did, uh, secondary to the people that were sick. Wow. And if we could just go a few more years, uh, so remember, 1492 was when Christopher Columbus came first time. By 1618, the Aztec population had decreased from 18 million to 1.6 million. Tremendous devastation that the um, native population was suffering uh, secondary to the diseases that were being brought By the Europeans. If you're interested, there's an excellent book, Guns, Germs, and Steel by by Jared Diamond. And in fact, in the specific chapter, uh, chapter six, chapter 11, um, he calls this uh, chapter The Little Gift of Livestock. And he gives some very interesting insight. See, the native populations, I'm not saying they were vegetarians. uh, but if they wanted some some meat a group of them would go and hunt you know like mm-hmm. animal like a bison and uh, they would kill that bison and the rest of the bison would be free to go back and roam in the in the plains but the europeans did something that caused many of these diseases to come about they used to get animals put them in an enclosed space. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're talking about, you know, the goats and the lambs and the cows and so forth. And because of that, there was a constant exchange of uh, close proximity between the animals and the humans. And that caused many of the diseases of the animals to jump into the humans. So that's the reason why, because Native Americans didn't do animal husbandry. They were not exposed to that close contact with animals day in and day out. But if you check uh, the statistics, for example, the Europeans were being hit by plagues on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let me give you some, some numbers. A plague of Justinian. Uh, killed 10,000 people a day. Tremendously devastating problem. The Black Death. Half of the European population disappear as a result of the Black Death. The Italian plague, uh, one-third of the inhabitants of the Republic of Venetia, used to be a nice and big place there, uh, disappeared. Uh, the Great Plague of London, 8,000 people per week uh, died. And, and, and like that one after another after another, and you can trace every single one of them to uh, some sort of animal where these diseases came.
1: Yeah, so this is really striking. So, of course, we're not saying that there isn't human-to-human transmission, but we're talking about where these plagues come into the human population, and we're saying it has to do with domesticated animals. And like you mentioned, Dr. Ramirez, yeah, in my research as well, when you look at domesticated animals in Indian country, you just don't find those records. Now, Indian country is diverse, and you know maybe one of our listeners will contact us and say, hey, you know, way back, we have this tradition with something, but I just haven't heard it yet. Of course, since European contact, some tribes have become known for animal husbandry and things. So some things have changed in that dimension as well. So you're kind of begging a question here with all of this, because we started early in the program speaking about one of these killer plagues known as AIDS or the human immunodeficiency virus, and you suggested that later in the show we're going to perhaps talk about maybe how that virus got into the human population. Was it two through an animal-human connection?
2: That's correct. So let me tell you the situation. By the 20th century, things started changing. Before, we used to have a lot of infectious diseases everywhere. Uh, People used to die very much because of infectious diseases. And by the time we reached the 20th century, things are changing. People started learning about hygiene. You know, you need Mm -hmm. to wash your hands if you you want to avoid many problems. You need to keep your food clean and so forth. And then things like vaccines started to be deployed later on, which stopped many of the common killers as well as uh, antibiotics came into the picture. So now we have tools to stop infectious diseases. So the number of infectious diseases started decreasing dramatically worldwide until we reached the 1950s and 1960s. Some theorize that this may have to do even with the changes that this society has been facing uh, the society changed very much in the 1950s and 1960s. Respect for authority, morality, and, and many uh, counter culture movements started uh, uh, coming out uh, back then. Does that have an impact? Uh, some say it did. But by 1975, we had 30 new diseases. Nobody had ever heard about them. So, coming to your question of AIDS, well, let me, in order to answer that, let me start with the question of Ebola. See, there's a new group of diseases, uh, hitting emerging infectious diseases, by the name of viral hemorrhagic fevers. That's how that group of diseases is called. The most famous one of those happened to be uh, Ebola. But there's others that are very nasty. You have things such as Marburg disease. Oh, that's an ugly disease. Half of the population that get Marburg are going to die uh, by catching it. So where did these diseases come from? They came because uh, workers were sent deep into the forest in Africa to cut wood. And they were exposed to diseases of the uh, forest and uh that actually, by eating those animals that were in the forest, monkeys specifically, that's what caused that problem.
1: Well, We have to talk more about this, these viral hemorrhagic fevers, Ebola, Marburg, we're going to somehow find how all this interfaces with HIV, the human immunodeficiency virus and AIDS. I'm talking with Dr. Eddie Ramirez. He is heading up a group uh, based in Pennsylvania called the uh, HealthWise Lifestyle Medicine Group. He is the director of that group. We're going to talk more with Dr. Ramirez. I'll give you some of his contact information again as well when we come back. I'm Dr. David DeRose. A lot more fascinating material that can make a difference in very practical ways for you. We'll connect some of those dots as we proceed. Stay with us.
0: American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at AIANL.org or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. A message from the National Police Association. It used to be that any able-bodied person would offer to assist a police officer in danger. Now, passers-by are more likely to take a video there's a better use for your phone when an officer's in trouble. Call 911. Tell the operator where you are and what you see. Then, start your video to provide evidence later. To learn more about how you can assist law enforcement, visit nationalpolice.org. That's nationalpolice.org. Using meth taught me everything about freedom, only not
1: like you think. It taught me how easy it is to lose your freedom. If you think meth is taking control of you, Ask for help. You have the power to be truly
0: free. I know. I'm Jan, and I'm free from meth.
2: If you or someone you know is struggling with meth, call 1-800-662-HELP for 24-hour free and
0: confidential treatment referral. Learn more at samhsa.gov meth. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to the second half of today's
1: edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. My guest, Dr. Eddie Ramirez, Dr. Ramirez, an MD, who has been making a difference throughout uh, the world. His roots are in Indian country, at least Central America native roots. Uh, we talked some about his background in the first segment of today's broadcast. Dr. Ramirez has been especially walking us through these emerging infectious illnesses. He's been giving us kind of a world history, including the history of things here in North America. And we're drawing some linkages that animals and animal husbandry, domesticated animals, seem to lie at the root of many of these infectious disease outbreaks. Eddie, in the last segment, you transitioned us to Africa and to these viral hemorrhagic fevers like Ebola, and uh, kind of recapped a little bit. You were mentioning not so much domesticated animals, but a different type of animal contact. Tell us a little again about how that worked.
2: That's right. So what happened was that as business people realized that Africa had very good quality of wood. They send groups of workers to cut down those massive trees there. And just think about it. You know, you're going to be one of those workers. You're going to be working there for the next two months in that forest cutting those trees. What are you going to eat? I mean, you have some food with you, but you're going to run out in a couple of weeks. There's no plantations next door to go and cut some corn or something to eat. So what this uh, worker started resorting was to kill some of the animals from the forest, especially monkeys. Mm -hmm. It has been documented uh, that they uh, are partaking of 26 different species of monkeys, from chimpanzee to gorilla and so forth. And the worst part was that they went to the cities and told them, hey, you should try chimpanzee. It tastes really good. So now the people in the cities also started eating this uh, food, and this is something very well documented. That's where we got Ebola and many of those viral hemorrhagic fevers by the fact that these diseases were in these monkeys when there was some trying to catch them, you know, some exchange of blood. That way the disease jumped into the humans. And we know that this is where AIDS also came from. There's a journal Science, one of the top journals in the world. Uh, Let me give you this uh, citation. Direct exposure to animal blood and secretions as a result of hunting, butchering, or other activities, or the consumption of uncooked, contaminated meat is what caused AIDS. So again, this virus was in some of these monkeys, and by that exchange, you didn't cook well enough the, the, the monkey, or while trying to catch it, there was exchange of blood, and that's why it jumped. You can even go to websites like National uh, Geographic, there's a good article there, National Geographic. Uh, Just Google, HIV originated with monkeys, not chimps, study finds. And they explore and document a little bit further there that uh, research uh, showing the clear link between that partaking of this type of meat that caused that problem.
1: Wow. Wow. So you were giving us this kind of world history lesson about how these diseases have crept in. You brought us through European contact on this continent through up into the 1950s, the 1960s. We've been talking about AIDS that uh, first was recognized in the early 1980s, at least, you know, some of the first manifestations. How about bring us closer to today and then maybe what lessons we should be applying if we want to stay healthy in a world where these uh, infectious diseases seem to continue to emerge?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, so a big worrisome development that we are seeing is um, more people today want uh, chicken. You know, that's like a a very common type of meat that people want. So in order to uh, bring about so much chicken, we're seeing what is called Factory farming, in which you're not using the natural way of raising an animal, but rather you treat these animals uh, like a literal factory. Mm. So you have these places where you have thousands and thousands of uh, chickens in one enclosed space. That is not a good idea to do. Number one, because that's not the way that they have. Live these animals, you know, in the, in the past. Two, you have so many of these animals together, you have to medicate every single one of them. If not, all of them died because of the situation that they're in. Usually they're in an enclosed space, therefore there's no sunlight there to kill, you know, some of those uh, germs that are being generated there. There is no uh, fresh air to remove, you know, some of those toxicities that are generated in that environment. Those animals are in constant stress. And therefore, when you're very much stressed, just like you and I, our immune system starts going down as a result of those tremendous levels of stress because these animals are not happy to be in that environment. So this makes them... that. Perfect place for new infectious diseases. In fact, it is uh, very well uh, theorized that the next uh, pandemic we're going to face is going to come from there, from mm-hmm. the chickens. It's going to be either swine flu from pigs, or it's going to be an avian flu, or a combination of both an avian and a swine flu. In fact, you can use Google, go to your Google and Google pandemic influenza, avian flu. Uh, There's some places uh, that this is starting to come about. If you follow my Twitter account, this is very much interest of mine. I I mention that uh, quite often. For example, right now in South America, there is a big problem with this avian flu is affecting uh, marine animals, hmm. uh, so things like seals and so forth, they are dying by the hundreds. Go and read it yourself. You know this is on the news. You know this is no conspiracy website or anything. You know, this is in the in the mainline uh, news. Uh, and and where did that came from? It came from that factory farming. It's not affecting humans yet, but. If we continue doing what we have been doing, very soon we may be facing that.
1: Well, I mean, this is confusing, I think, because you're talking about marine animals and factory farming of chickens. How does the virus from the chickens get into these marine animals? Do they have any hypothesis?
2: Very good question. And that's the thing, because you have these factory farming places very close to the coast. So Um. when you have... um, A lot of food, places with a lot of food, like the places where you have chickens, other birds come, you know, to try to pick up some of this food. In that way, they took that disease because they were close to the coast. There were uh, birds that were close to to the coast. They brought that disease to the coast. And then the close interactions there with other animals in the coast caused that disease to jump into the seals. And then the seals started infecting themselves. So, yeah, that's how that ended up there in the coast.
1: Wow, wow. So basically all this uh, push for, quote, a healthier meat, uh, when people are saying, well, I don't eat red meat anymore, maybe they would be better off if they followed the Native Americans and ate the wild game, or maybe even followed the other Native American tradition and started eating more of the three sisters, the corn and the beans and the squash. Is that... uh, Maybe one of the conclusions we should be drawing?
2: That's exactly the conclusion that I was going to mention. Uh, You can go to some of the uh, museums. They actually can show you how these three sisters interacted. They didn't plant them like the way that we plant them today. We have one place, the corn, one place, the beans, and so forth. No, they put them all together. And it was actually very wise to do that, because uh, these plants, they complement each other. What some uh, take from the ground, on the other one puts it in the ground. So you have very nice equilibrium when you plant those three sisters that you are mentioning together. In fact, there's, there's some interesting uh, um, documentation from the natives uh, from uh, 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 Mexico. Uh, They uh, documented how uh, people used to eat a very plant-rich food. The average person ate lots and lots of uh, foods that came from plants. It was only the elite, it was only the leaders of the community that had more access to game, meat, and so forth. Because they had the, the resources to go and you know send a crew of people there to hunt animals and so forth. The average person, you know, it was something very very seldom that they were able to have access to that. And yet, when Christopher Columbus came from the for the first time here, you can find his um, log. Um, uh, he describes the people here. He said that they were thin, but they were healthy. And they mm-hmm. were strong. And he says, I, I, I couldn't find any animal husbandry. Nobody was doing that. Mm-hmm. Wherever he went, because as we were mentioning, that was not a common behavior that people were doing. And another also worrisome part um, that is also current and relevant for today are what are called the wet markets, Mm. And this is a really, really bad idea. This is something that is done very much in Asia. So the wet markets are places that you have very exotic meats of animals that you don't usually partake of, uh, such as, you know, bats and dogs and uh, reptiles and, and so forth. And it's a really bad idea. Because you have different species of animals that usually are not together. Mm. And uh, now you're putting them together and diseases can start jumping from one to another and can start to increase how infectious uh, they are. Uh, and also some other strange things that people do. You know, I, I, I've been to 94 countries on planet Earth.
1: Wow. And
2: uh, something that you see in Asia is <laughs> an animal by the name of the civet cat. Saivet cat is a, uh, it's not a cat, but it's, it looks like a cat. People raise this animal because they eat it, but they also make the world's most expensive coffee. They feed coffee beans to this creature. And with the literal poopy, they make coffee out of them. Uh, So uh, we know that SARS number one uh, came from that. Wow,
1: wow. Well, Dr. Ramirez, we have to step away for one uh, final break. We're going to come back with Dr. Ramirez. I did promise you uh, some additional contact information for him. I will make sure we get that out at the beginning of the next segment. Talking about emerging infectious illnesses, things that you can do differently in your life, that will be the special emphasis in our final segment. I'm Dr. DeRose. We will be back after these important messages.
0: Today's broadcast has been pre recorded. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to our final
1: segment of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. My guest, Dr. Eddie Ramirez, he's the director of the HealthWise Lifestyle Medicine Group in Pennsylvania. He is uh, in demand all over the world. If you're just joining us, he's uh, traveled to some nearly 100 countries doing seminars, health education events and he's putting out a lot of content online. Dr. Ramirez, I promised that we'd give people your contact information again. I know you've got a lot of different ways to connect with you, but perhaps one of the easier ways just to directly contact you is through email. Do you want to give us that uh, contact information once more?
2: Yeah, it's E as an elephant, Ramirez, R-A-M-I-R-E-Z, at Wimar, which is...
3: W E I M A R
1: dot E D U. Okay, so I've got E for Eddie Ramirez, R A M I R E Z, at Weimar, W E I M A R dot E D U. So they can reach you directly there. But you've been telling us a lot about how active you are on X or Twitter, and you're putting out a lot of content there. How does someone follow you on that platform?
2: Yeah, so just uh, search there when you go to Twitter, or now it's called X.com. Look for A-D-R-D-M-D. So E-D-D-I-E-R-D-M-D. And uh, you search that, and you will find my handle there. Uh, Pretty much every day, I put there some new information to motivate you to do positive lifestyle changes. That's my goal.
1: Well... You've been doing a lot of work. Uh, I've seen your you know, published research. I've seen your books. We featured some of that uh, on previous shows. Eddie, tell us where we're going. I mean, what's the bottom line message when you're doing all this work? Uh, what do you want my listeners to do to try to decrease the risk of these emerging infectious illnesses?
2: That's right. Well, I'm very glad that you were listening to this uh, information today because uh, it's going to give you tools to have uh, better choices regarding things that could increase the risk. For example, there's an, an, an interesting study that showed that if you eat animals that were given antibiotics, you yourself become antibiotic resistant. And wow. this is a big problem. Uh, I know the, Dr. DeRose uh, has done uh, quite a bit of hospital work, and this is a reality that we are facing uh, medication that in the past, used to work, and now when you run that through a laboratory, it shows that that medication is no longer working because 70% of all the antibiotics that are used worldwide are given to animals. If you give antibiotics to animals, animals grow faster, and uh, that means that you can sell it quicker, so it's better for economic purposes is that better for your health because you can acquire that antibiotic resistance. They were comparing two groups, people that were partaking of those animals that were exposed to antibiotics and people that were following a vegetarian diet. None of the people with the vegetarian diet uh, they found that there was an antibiotic resistance for the specific uh, bacteria that they were uh, looking for. Compared to the people that were eating these animals, pretty much everybody had at least some level of antibiotic resistance.
1: So, Dr. Ramirez, it's safe to say that if someone is going to the grocery store, purchasing animal products, whether it's beef, whether it's chicken, whether it's turkey, they're going to be exposed to animals that have antibiotic-resistant germs because all of them are being fed antibiotics. Is that safe to say, or are there... If they're getting it organic, range-fed, I mean, can you avoid this uh, in some places?
2: There's a few places where they can find this other type that is not exposed, but it's actually very seldom. The majority of the ones that you find in the stores have been exposed to the antibiotics because of the way that they were raised, as we were uh, talking uh, talking about. So, uh, yeah, we need to... Uh, be careful on our food choices because they do have consequences. Let me just share with you quickly. Um, there's uh, two very worrisome diseases coming out again from animals. Uh, there's one called Streptococcus suis. Oh, this is a nasty disease. This disease will actually go to your nervous system. Half of the people that get it are going to go blind. Uh, it gives you a brain infection. We call that a meningitis. And uh, it's nasty. Many people actually have died as a result of that. Where did it come from? From pigs, you know, from raising pigs. Too close together, too many of them is what caused this. In fact, it was in the news, you can search it in the, in the New York Times, how uh, China is making skyscrapers to fill them with pigs. Imagine that. Wow. If one level caused problems, now if you have skyscrapers of pigs, this is not a good idea. And the second one is called the Nipah virus. Oh, this is a nasty disease. Death rate, between 40 to 70%. In other words, if 100 people get it, between 40 to 70% of them are going to die as a result of this virus. And um, the problem is with this Nipah virus, they are worried that some crazy terrorists may get a hold of some of this virus, multiply it. Imagine they throw this in some big city, how many people would perish? In fact, right now, as we speak, there's an outbreak in India of this uh, Nipah virus. I have the official report here. Um, here's the official report where this virus came from. Without this largely intensively managed pig farm, it would have been extremely difficult for this virus to emerge. Mm-hmm. So again, from raising pigs, the way that they have not done this before, but now so many people want it, so you have this overcrowding and so forth just open the door for all kinds of problems. And in parentheses, since uh, two administrations ago in the White House, uh, they gave permission for Americans to eat fish that comes from Asia. And in some of these uh, places where they raise uh, fish, they feed these fish pig feces. Oh, my. So that is not a good idea because some of the diseases from the pigs can actually come to that fish. And you're thinking, oh, I'm not eating pig. You know, I'm eating uh, fish. But you can be exposed to that. You can go to my Twitter. I have the news uh, clip there from Bloomberg, which is a main television and online place.
1: Well, Eddie, I mean, you've definitely... Uh, given us a lot of sobering things to think about. And you've really underscored a lot of indigenous uh, practices, you know, avoiding the domestication of animals. If you're going to eat any type of animal flesh, get it wild, you know, wild game. Even better, what I hear you saying, at least from the research today, because it seems like there's so much cross-contamination of things in the wild maybe we need to be thinking about more vegetarian eating styles. I know that's what you've done a lot of research in, showing how this helps not just infectious diseases, but chronic diseases like diabetes and high blood pressure. As we wind up the show, do you have some thoughts about that other connection with diet and non-infectious illnesses?
2: Yes, absolutely. I've done a lot of research on that, and we've been able to help you know reverse diabetes, hypertension, and many other common conditions by going back to those three sisters and their cousins, <laughs> you can actually have very wholesome food. So that's something for the listeners to go ahead and investigate a little bit more and, and be familiar and use it, you know the advantages of that type of lifestyle.
1: Dr. Ramirez, as we mentioned uh, earlier in the show, you do have a lot of ways to connect with your content. We've given out your email address uh, several times, e. Ramirez at wemar.edu. You mentioned once before some of the other ways to connect with you. YouTube, you've got lots of videos out there. How does someone find you on YouTube?
2: Yeah, just uh, type dreddyramirez.com, and that's the way you're going to arrive there. If you're interested in, in my research, uh, Google these three words. Francisco is my other name, uh, like like uh, San Francisco. Francisco Ramirez research gate there's uh, more than 160 published projects there that you can have access there for free if you want to see some of the of the research and some of the books that I've written there are also listed there in that page
1: now this is really uh, exciting I've not heard you mention this before Francisco Ramirez research gate
2: that's correct
1: okay just put it into a search engine and I should find that just
2: put it in your google and the first hit that's mine, uh, just beware, uh, this site uses artificial intelligence to find my research. Uh, so sometimes it misclassified them. Sometimes they'll use a full paper, but in reality it was a, a research project presented in a congress or something.
1: Okay, well, great. Eddie, thanks so much for all that you're doing. Thanks for enriching the lives of my listeners. We surely appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to join us.
2: Thank you so much for the invitation.
1: And to each one of you, our listeners on American Indian and Alaska Native Living, I'm Dr. David DeRose, as always, wishing you the very best of health.
0: This is Life Talk Radio.